guess you You're driving me crazy What did I do to you Yes, you You're driving me crazy What did I do What did I do to you Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. Last week, we had a discussion with Upshift founder Ezra Goldman concerning the future of mobility, going beyond the more simplistic view that many lay out. This week, Ezra is back again, and we're going to try and look a little further out. Autonomous vehicles have been a popular fictional concept for ages, and just in the past few years, we've finally seen glimpses of them becoming reality. While many people had an initial emotional reaction uh, that they were uncomfortable with autonomous vehicles, the truth, I think, is that the more you think about it, the more you realize that it is almost certain that such cars will be safer and more reliable than human-driven vehicles. In fact, it has been reasonably argued that at some future date, it will seem absolutely insane that there was ever a time that we let humans control their own cars all the time. But what will that mean? It would certainly mean a very different employment landscape. It is hard to overstate just how many jobs today involve driving. There are 3.5 million truck drivers in the U.S. alone. And yes, that is about 1% of all people living in the U.S. are truck drivers. In more than half the states in the United States, truck driver is the number one job, according to the last census. And that doesn't take into account all the ancillary jobs around those truck drivers. Some of those jobs would change, uh, but how many would truly remain if all of the drivers go autonomous to autonomous vehicles? Toss in cab and limo drivers, and that's not even counting the rapid increase in such things, thanks to Uber and Lyft, and there's another quarter of a million people who depend on driving for their jobs. If all that were to go autonomous, it would change things profoundly, and not just in terms of employment, but how a lot of other things would be done as well. We got into that a little bit with Ezra last week in envisioning a new future for mobility, where there was definitely a place for autonomous vehicles for local urban transit, But today we've got Ezra back again, along with Dennis Yang, of course, to delve even deeper into what kind of world it would be if we basically automated all of those cars and saw what happened. People could still choose to drive, but as a leisure activity rather than as a profession. So, Ezra, let's dig in. (laughs) Would the rise of truly autonomous vehicles simply wipe out a huge employment sector in the U.S., and what would that mean? Yeah, um, th- that's a that's a really good question. I, I mean, I, I think that there, you know, if if I were uh, in that profession, I would certainly be uh, uh, considering uh, other possible job <laughs> uh, job availabilities. Um, you know, I, I but you know, with a caveat, of course, that this is probably not going to happen overnight. Uh, we still have uh, a, a little ways before uh, for people to get you know <laughs> new skills. Well, and, and, uh, in, but, and in uh, fact, I mean, part part of the argument, you know, in terms of people were looking at sort of why why are there so many, you know, why why is truck driver such a popular mm-hmm. not popular but you know common job? Um, and one of the reasons was that it's it's one area that hasn't been automated away, whereas mm-hmm. lots of other jobs really have been. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like looking at, I think there was a popular news article like being, you know, passed around a few, you know, a little bit. And it was basically the jobs before truck driver was the most popular were, were like, it was something like what, secretaries or... Right. And, and each one of these jobs basically was was taken over by some sort of automation. And I think that that's the point, right? Like how quickly does this happen? And either where, where do these people go? They obviously find more jobs or different jobs, right? So, but at some point, I think the worry here is that there aren't going to be any more jobs, right? And at some point, everything is automated. And then what do we do as a society? You know, what happens? I think that's... Is, is, yeah. like, are, you like, may be going a little further yeah. than, than I was <laughs> intending to go with this conversation. But we can, I mean, we can go there if, right, if so we maybe, want to. Let, let's yeah, start, I, I, let's I, start I, one step back right, before so. the end of all work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, this, this is a point that's really come up in history many, yeah. many times. And, and I'm certainly not uh, going to make the conclusive uh, decision about which it's going to be. But it's, this, this question has certainly been here since probably the dawn of anything automated, you know, right. sure. since the beginning right. of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, right. you know, it was tractors. Right. Uh, I mean, farmers is probably a, you know, a good one. There's a large percentage of the population right. that used to be in farming. Right, and even and and even early, you know, craft manufacturing and on all these things, all those jobs were automated away. And the the argument then was always, you know, and people would say the same thing that they said today, which is that they yeah. couldn't couldn't envision a world in which those people had new jobs because right. where would those jobs be? And yet they've they've come. And so the argument now in terms of will there be jobs, I think breaks down along the question of do you believe like every other time in history that the new jobs will come along? Um, and you know, I'm very sympathetic to that argument. Or do you believe, as some people make the case, that this time is different? Right. Mm-hmm. And, when, um, and when do we know that it's different? Or when nobody has jobs? I guess, yeah. <laughs> well, I think another uh, big question. I was just looking at uh, Kleiner Perkins released a sort of f- you know future of tech uh, mm-hmm. uh, report uh, recently, and uh, they uh, there was a there was one slide in there that I thought was uh, kind of relevant for this uh, discussion, where they essentially were showing a graph of just population growth. Mm-hmm. And job growth, mm-hmm. and you know, job growth had kind of ticked upward a little bit, but population growth was going up quite a bit. And huh. uh, that, I think that that seemed like a, an almost equally large concern. Is if we just have more people than than the current jobs, that seems like uh, uh, also a pretty a pretty big challenge. And of course, if it, more and more of those entry level jobs or or uh, jobs that don't require heavy training. Uh, are are gone, then of course that's uh, even more difficult for those people to get into the job market. Yeah, and I, I mean, I have some belief, and and again, like I don't know what those jobs are, but I, I do have some belief where if you have all of these people who are looking for jobs and and need work, that they're right. you know that that becomes a, an available resource, and someone or some people or some groups of people will start to figure out ways to utilize that as a resource. And and we're already seeing some of it. And that was what our discussion a few Mm -hmm. weeks ago was about, you know, sort of the rise of the on-demand economy. That's suddenly putting to use, you know, a lot of people. But (laughs) going back to the the start of this podcast, if we automate away some of those things, then then those jobs might not last all that long either. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so... So again, let's take a step back from from right. the end of right. all jobs and and that question, though it is an mm-hmm. interesting question, and and talk about just you know the step before that potentially, right. uh, in terms of you know what then does happen if we have autonomous vehicles? Does it uh, you know how does it change you know a variety of things? Yeah, I think there's there's a few things. I mean, kind of getting back to this discussion of near car, far car, and in different types of vehicles, different trip types. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, if you kind of look at it from that lens too, you see that there are uh, certain kinds of vehicles, certain kinds of trips that will be automated in certain kinds of ways. Uh, and some of those trips are currently being taken by, uh, you know, taxis and buses, um, but others are currently, you know, most of the trips in America today are one person in a car driving themselves. Mm -hmm. And so if that, if that were an automated solution, uh, the person you would be firing is the person who owns the car right now who drives <laughs> himself to work. And uh, in that case, uh, that's just, you know, time that Google can dish out more ads uh, and, and not necessarily uh, a bad thing for the economy. Um, now, if you're talking about the, you know, we're, I don't know exactly what percentage of uh, the uh, tr trips that are taken from Uber, but, you know, I think if you look at just the value of the company compared to the value of the total market, I mean, it's it's less than a percent of all trips taken around the world are still being done by Uber. I mean, it's still not, uh, even if all of those were automated tomorrow, mm -hmm. uh, it might be fairly disruptive to the taxi space, uh, but it would not fundamentally, you know, mean the, the, the death of the American economy. Uh, there would certainly be a, a number of folks who would be out of a job, but you could also uh, very clearly make an argument that Uber's investors have, have also made, which is that... Um, Uber is not only uh, disrupting the taxi market, but they're also expanding that market and creating jobs and creating uh, services that didn't previously exist. And so, uh, you know, there's there's kind of a wider market there. So if you take some of those jobs away, those are jobs that may not have existed in the first place. And so what I guess it depends on what your baseline is. Are you comparing yeah. it to five years ago or today? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the, the autonomous vehicles um, taking away jobs, I think one of the the first areas people are thinking is you know long haul long haul trucking yep. right yeah um, and all of the associated kind of you know infrastructure that goes into supporting it the diners and the hotels and you know etc but I guess it, it, maybe there's other industries that would pop up once we have more autonomous long haul or yeah and and um, you you could argue that it would change things in other ways because you you know you could ship things faster you wouldn't need you know to find truck drivers who would have to stop and sleep, <laughs> right? Because right. you could have trucks that would, you know, continuously go. And so you could, you know, things would change in different ways. Um, but, you know... The, yeah. As far as I'm aware uh, about trucks, I believe you still need a driver in the first car, at least to, as a backstop, but it's the follow-on vehicles that would be uh, automated. And I don't know how many you can have in a, in a chain. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, and you could certainly do the same thing with... Uh, highway driving with, uh, you know, traditional cars that right. are built today uh, with, you know, autonomous features like uh, the things that are coming out in Tesla and Mercedes these days, where you would, you know, instead of a truck driving behind the, the front driver, you have someone driving in a in a car behind those, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just sort of be, be uh, uh, connected virtually uh, to that train. Um, but I, I think you still need a driver in the front. I don't know. I, I'm not aware of anybody talking about Fully, fully automated, yeah. but maybe I haven't seen that. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think that's definitely looking further out, but I mean, they're definitely looking to get there eventually. Right. Um, you know, I don't think that's, you know, a, a realistic offering in the very near future, but but certainly, you know, not that far off, and potentially within, within our lifetimes, I, would, I think definitely. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, it does sound like maybe a, more efficient way of running a train like there's is there mm -hmm. like i'm not familiar with why like the trains don't just carry everything all around the country it's probably an infrastructure and cost thing and 
like the interstate highway system probably is more efficient at getting product to I where it needs to go. I think it's a safety thing. Yeah. <clears throat> you mean why are they not fully automated or well, why, why, are they, why, why do trains, trains exist? Well, yeah, why aren't <laughs> trains taking over the entire operation versus... Trucking's Trucking. cheaper and more uh, flexible. Yeah, yeah, much more flexible. It's, it's the flexibility, right? I mean, yeah. trains were important early right. on, and they're still important, right, for, for transporting freight. Right. Um, but, you know, in very limited you know, routes that have been established, you know, for, for decades or centuries. And those containers ultimately end up on a truck. That get, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and I think we, we tend to forget that up until maybe 100 years ago, uh, water was really the fastest way to get anywhere. Uh, you know, it was really like mid-1800s, we started building rail, and rail was this big deal because it was faster than a boat. And then we got cars and roads, and those were way faster and more flexible than right. uh, than, uh, than than uh, right. trains. Yeah. Uh, but it really wasn't until like the the Interstate Highway Act in the 1950s, like middle of the century, that we really started getting enough infrastructure, which is now, by the way, all crumbling and needs to be <laughs> replaced. Uh, but uh, that's you know it's really only been one generation or so where uh, moving over land is actually more efficient, huh. more flexible than moving over rail or over sea. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I think there's there's another point here uh, to be touched upon when you talk about autonomous. Uh, if we look beyond uh, the jobs and, and the shift there is also around the change of cities, you know. And if you mm -hmm. look at uh, cities over the last, uh, you know, since cities have been around, uh, you know, every time we get some kind of new transportation paradigm, cities change in, entirely, you know. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at, uh, a, a, a sort of medieval city from Europe, uh, you know, you, typically most tourists will hang out in sort of the, the, the walkable inner core, right. you know, the place that used to be where everybody lived because you just would only go the distance you could go in about 20 minutes. And when you didn't have anything other than your feet, the distance you could go in 20 minutes is a couple miles. And if you look at most of, you know, any kind of major uh, European city, uh, you'll typically see that the sort of urban core, mm -hmm. the old district, is is pretty walkable. Um, and, you know, as those cities have evolved over time, you see that with every new transportation service uh, that's come along, you know, whether that's, um, uh, you know, horses or bicycles uh, to buses and trains um, and, and then finally cars, uh, what we've seen is that cities have continuously expanded. They've become less and less dense over time. Uh, because the distance that you can move in the same, because generally people only want to go about 20 minutes to wherever they're going. They, they don't really care how far that is. Right. You know, if they could fly there at 5,000 miles an hour, <laughs> they would do it. But if, as long as it's 20 minutes, it's fine. Right. And so as long, as soon as you start, you know, screwing up the, the speed dial, uh, now people are like, Hey, what can I, you know, where can I live now? Right. For, you know, and I still have a fixed income, right? I'm still only making X thousand dollars a month. Uh, but if I can get, you know, 10 miles in 20 minutes versus two miles in 20 minutes, well, now I can have my own house with a yard with, you know, all these other amenities that I want, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and that has its own benefits that, that people desire and, and therefore the rise of the suburb. And so then the question really is once we have, you know, an autonomous future and, you know, the, the autonomous future that I spelled out earlier, uh, you know, and I think it, it relates to both near car and far car. I don't think any of these systems are really... Uh, maybe the, the the bike shares are probably not going to be automated, but you know, certainly anything that has four wheels and an engine is is you know ripe for uh, autonomous disruption. Um, and 
you know, I think the, the, the big open question there is, you know, are we going to go down sort of the sort of more positive, rosy, uh, multimodal uh, solution, solution that I uh, spelled out in, in uh, last week's uh, episode? Uh, you know, and I think uh, those vehicles can also, because they're uh, more of a fleet-based solution, you know, the fleet operator can then have control over which vehicles go into the system. They can make sure that they're as electrified and as, you know, environmentally sensitive as as is possible for that vehicle doing that kind of trip. Um, but, uh, you know, the other way that it could go is you say, well, everybody's still going to own their own car. They're just going to sit in the backseat of their own Tesla. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but we still need all the parking. We still need, we still have all the congestion. We still have all the, 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 the traffic and all, you know, health issues, et cetera, that go along with it. Um, and if that's the case, then I think, you know, then you might move into more of a direction, the sort of more dystopian version where you say, well, we're just going to have, <laughs> you know, huge sprawl, you know, because uh, now we can go, uh, maybe, like, imagine you can uh, put these vehicles together. You can go twice as fast on the highway with half the distance between all the vehicles. Uh, and now, um, instead of going, uh, you know, 60 miles an hour on the highway, you can go 100 miles, 150 miles an hour on the highway. Right. Well, now you're 20 minutes. You know, and, by the way, there's hardly any traffic jams because there's right. hardly any accidents. And there's really no reason for a yeah. traffic jam because there's this... You can manage it much more efficiently. It can be so, managed right. centrally somehow. And, you know, everybody's now going, you know, two, three, four... 5x faster than they were before, uh, especially if you consider like traffic jams going 30 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, well, does that mean I can now the, live in like Sacramento and commute into the right. city? Right. I mean, the, the, so the what? 20 it, minutes. Your 20 gets minutes you gets you and, a and, lot farther. And you could even argue beyond that, where like it's true that the 20 minutes is an issue, especially when it comes to like commute, right? Mm -hmm. Being sort of the biggest decision. But the other interesting thing, too, is with the autonomous vehicle, because you could potentially just hop into your car and then work or be doing mm -hmm. something else during that ride, mm -hmm. I even wonder if the 20-minute totally. begins to switch also, right. because it's no longer, you know, well, I don't want to waste the 20 minutes, you know, more than 20 minutes on the drive, but now you can actually be productive or entertained as, <laughs> you know, maybe more likely for, for a lot of people for that time. And so not only could you go faster, not only could you get more cars, you could also can maybe push out that 20 minutes because mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't seem like such a waste of time. Well, and those, you know, th there's uh, a system that could evolve, of course, to something similar to what Google is already doing in other tech companies with these big tech buses where sure. you have a last mile solution where you hop in some sort of little micro, uh, you know, Google kind of vehicle that takes you from your home to some sort of central node and you hop in like some kind of Google bus type thing that takes you to work, and the whole thing is fully automated, right. and you're going you know, pretty slowly at the first mile, but then you know, once you hop on the highway, you're zinging along at you know, essentially uh, high-speed rail speeds or something, and you, know, there, there's, and, and you could do uh, an hour in that trip potentially, right? And so now you really could live uh, quite a distance farther away, and uh, that could really shift things. And there are people who are already know, doing uh, flying to work and, and riding uh, the tech buses are, are like an hour or more to get to work. Uh, there's people who are riding uh, trains on the East Coast between, you know, Boston, D.C., mm -hmm. uh, New York. Um, so I, I think if you look at what's out there today, you could probably do a bit of analysis and see uh, if people have a different experience, to what extent are they willing to extend that trip? And I think you may, in fact, see that. I, I'm not aware of any data on that, but that mm -hmm. hypothesis certainly seems valid. Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be interesting because then, you know, I mean, we all know sort of, right, the rise of of the suburbs, but, you know, w would that create a rise of 
something else sort of beyond the suburbs and, and in the, the sort of, you know, the sort of vast empty areas <laughs> beyond the suburb. Um, well, I think you could see satellite uh, cities too. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at a city like Tokyo, uh, it's, it's not really a, a hub and spoke model. I mean, what you mm-hmm. really have is a whole bunch of different cities that kind of all grew together into one yeah. big thing. And, you know, those, you know, somewhere like Walnut Creek or Fremont or Mountain View, I mean, any of those places could become, you know, the size and scale of somewhere like San Francisco and all be hooked together into this big Bay Area regional uh, urban environment. And, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this whole concept, like what you call it, the hub and spoke, like city architecture with and suburbs are, they feel maybe very distinctly American, I think. You know, I was speaking with one of my friends from from England, and I asked if like she lives outside of London. I was like, "Oh, is that a suburb of London?" And then she kind of looked at me funny. I was like, "No, this we're our own thing. Like, it's not a suburb. We're outside of London. We're our own town, our own city. We're, you know, suburb is like a very American thing. Where you know, you live in the peninsula, and you're like, "Oh, I'm a suburb of San Francisco." Whereas I think other cities are just very, very defined by. You know, it's a very different way of thinking about building a community and city. Yeah, I think know. I think the definition of suburban is uh, is very different, like um, in, in different places. So, uh, you know, there are things, uh, and it really comes back to how they what what is the transportation they were evolved around, right? right. So, uh, streetcar suburbs uh, from the 1920s and 30s in America that you saw up along the West Coast and in, in many cities in America mm-hmm. um, are pretty walkable. They're pretty dense, uh, relatively speaking, uh, because you'd have streetcar lines every few blocks and you'd be able to walk between those lines. Uh, and that's a very different model, but it's still suburbs. Uh, and if you look a little later, as more and more people got cars uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of the century, uh, then you started looking at interchange and ex- you know highway entrances and exits as kind of the the uh, the the you know pickup and, and stopping points instead of uh, a, a station right and so that was kind of more important was that you right, had a right. shopping mall with a giant uh, supermarket <laughs> next to it and an exit and that was mm-hmm. the that was where you wanted to be not next to the streetcar stopping point right um, and if you look at the suburbs that you're talking about in London and in many parts of uh, right. Europe uh, you're really looking at post-war development that was mm-hmm. oriented around trains transit right. lines as well and a lot of that suburban development um, uh, is actually a high-rise, a very dense high-rise construction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a, a, a real estate project in, in grad school that was in Shanghai, and we were in the, 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 the suburbs of Shanghai, which was like you know 20 <laughs> kilometers out of the city, and it was like more dense than downtown San Francisco. You know, it was like, this is the suburbs. Uh, you know, and uh, my, my partner is, uh, is Japanese, and uh, I was always railing and saying, I never want to live in the suburbs. I can never, never live in the suburbs. We, she, we get to San Francisco. She, I met her in Europe. We get to San Francisco, and she comes here, and she goes, wait, is this what you mean, my city? <laughs> I was talking about suburbs when you were talking about, like, NOPA. Like, that was my definition of suburbs. And I was like, no, no, that's urban. That's city. She's like, oh, okay. Well, then we can live there. <laughs> interesting. Well, I mean, it, 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 it is really interesting just how much Right. I mean, you know, that the sort of description of kind of right. the, the history. Right. I mean, every bit of it is driven by transportation. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so so in a world where we have an autonomous like mesh of vehicles, you know, handling this, it, like if the stop is no longer there, if the train station is no longer there, if the highway exit, if the highway exit isn't there, then, you know, it's this like point to point transportation solution that's completely autonomous. Like what 
what does that look like? Then? like well, I think if you, uh, I, I don't know that we'll ever get away from uh, still having uh, like a hub or a hub. Stop, yeah, I, yeah there, I mean, there can be ways. There certainly are folks who make arguments that everything should be hub and spoke, and, and yeah. I wouldn't, I, you know, that everything should be, uh, uh, you know, have these kind of transit hubs. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think there may be places where that does make sense, uh, hmm. but I think that to the extent that we can push it to, like what you're saying, where it really is pick up and drop off anywhere and point to point, uh, it's definitely going to be much more disruptive and, and much easier for people to wrap their heads around. Uh, but I think even in that kind of a system, I mean, if you look at uh, uh, Uber and Lyft, I mean, for example, you can look at the Lyft now, what they're doing with, I forget what they called it now, but they have yeah. like these uh, oh, the, the Lyft pickup, pickup points. points. Yeah. yeah. What uh, is this? I, I'm not familiar with that. So they, they have something, I don't know how many they have now, they keep adding it, but maybe 10, 20 different pickup points within the city. Yep. And they'll say, okay, if you're at like 16th in Valencia uh, and you want to go to North Beach, um, you know, stand here. And if you share a ride with someone else, you only pay, I think, like $3, $3 or yeah. something. Hmm. You know, and so it, it essentially starts being more competitive with Muni because they know that right. It's it's like a bus line effectively, exactly. but you have to walk to the to, to that the stop essentially. Right. Exactly. So it's kind of half bus line, half right. half right. and and lift. it's but yeah. it's a it's a defined route that if you're it's, that one's not a defined. There is okay. one in New York Did, City that is a defined, defined route. Pick up um, and drop off though, right? Some there's a defined pickup for Lyft. Oh, but not a defined um, drop off. So yeah, not a defined drop. As so far as I know, it's not a the, defined drop off. But then one yeah. person could be going to Ocean Beach and somebody could be right. going to North Beach. And but they, they only match you. So so the way that works is that they so have, they just have to match you. Basically, two of you pick up in the same point. Right. And then you know you're you're supposedly matched with someone that's on the way. Right. So mm-hmm. you know they drop off. You know your lift buddy right. where they go, and then you continue on your way. Well, get th- this gets later, back to our right? unlimited so. conversation from before. So yeah. essentially, Lyft is doing the same thing; they're just not telling you, which is to say, they know that ninety percent of their trips are going from Marina to North Beach to Mission, right? And so they just say, okay, here's a bunch of places we see a bunch of hotspots, and we'll we won't force you to right. tell us where you're going, but we already kind of know that most people are going to go from this place to that place, and we'll and do we the can, matching. We can bunch you up. We can and, bunch you and, up, and, and if we don't find you a bunch, then we just won't put you in the car. Yeah. Too bad. And and there's probably some real tactical, you know, efficiencies to be had specifically here in San Francisco. You know, picking up at like Eighth, eighth and Howard is much much better than at Sixth, right? Because mm-hmm. of the way the one way streets work. So mm-hmm. there's probably some. I think there's some very interesting efficiencies that they're kind of playing mm-hmm. with. So yeah, and so I, I think that we'll still uh, see uh, the sort of interplay between land use and transportation yeah. has existed forever. And I think that even if it's Purely, I mean, just like right now, I mean, we have point to point, right? I get in my car and I mm-hmm. drive down the highway and I go wherever the heck I want and I stop wherever I want. But there are there are still places where there are shopping centers and places where there are residential zones and places where there's just a bunch of nature. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that we're going to get away from, I don't think we're going to Unless move in, to a Instacart totally... takes that all, we don't have to shop anymore <laughs> with Instacart. <laughs> Someone, someone hasn't done like a park experience. Um, <laughs> on park on demand, demand. Yeah. Br- bring, bring a park to you. <laughs> That's like park, parking day on demand. You know, they yeah. like roll out a little fake grass carpet and a little croquet set and they take over a parking spot for an hour. Have we, have we finally found a, a, an on-demand, on-demand service? An that, on-demand service that, that doesn't exist? That doesn't, this was, we had on, uh, on, on the earlier podcast, the, the challenge of trying to find one that doesn't exist. That, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, though, who I, knows? I like that, so on-demand parklet. I, I can put that on my list <laughs> along with the, you know, camping out in a parking space instead of paying rent. Yeah, that's right. Although we can probably do an on-demand camping. On, on-demand, <laughs> on-demand shared camping. Yeah, I think, I think uh, there it's, is. It's Airbnb meets, uh, meets <laughs> oh, Zerks. <gosh>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't even want. All right. Got right. <laughs> a little little off topic. No, no, so, but it's it's yeah, good. It's, it's, it's all natural. It's all where, wherever the conversation goes. However, but, but I, I think I think the really uh, critical thing here, though, is to, is to recognize that you know autonomous vehicles are are not just about you know uh, uh, a Tesla with uh, a bot in it that. You know, you sit in the backseat of your right. Tesla that is your privately owned vehicle. Mm-hmm. Or let's not even say Tesla because that's at least got some some pretty cutting edge stuff on it. Let's just say it's a Civic that mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. sitting in the backseat of, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of confusion around autonomous vehicles in part because people haven't unpacked it. in ter- They haven't unpacked transportation to be about a system of different things that all fits together. And so they're still thinking about it in terms of, right. you know, either a car or one singular thing that comes after a car. And so it's really mm-hmm. the discussion is mostly focused around, you know, what does an autonomous Mercedes look like? Right. Or what is this crazy little uh, Google thing that fits into Uber look like? And there's not any, like, real connection point between those two universes. It's like either we'll have private I mean, vehicles it, that we sit in the back of or we'll have public right. vehicles that, you know, are, are an Uber. I mean, it, is, is it, like, an escalator or a people mover? Like... Like in Hong Kong, there's tons of escalators everywhere, and then you can basically, you know, your your range, your 20 minute range is effectively increased because there's all these people movers and escalators, right? Like, I think is that kind of what it feels like? I think there's a bunch of things. I mean, yeah. I think that there's, you know, there's stuff that we can see today, right? Which is you've got whatever Google is building this little neighborhood electric vehicle, and you could imagine right. that being integrated. It's fairly unlikely that somebody would buy that and own it. I mm-hmm. think it'd be very expensive for them to do that and it wouldn't make a lot of sense, but I could definitely see it and most people seem to be seeing it as right. something that could plug into an Uber-like system, right? right? And then you've got all of the uh, car manufacturers who are far, you know, just steering away from anything too revolutionary from either the vehicle design or the business model. And so what they're looking at is a more evolutionary approach of adding it as essentially a, a additional safety feature to their existing sure. vehicles. Yeah. Um, but there's a whole bunch of things in between, right? I mean, you can take those evolutionary uh, vehicles and put them onto something like Upshift, and now you have effectively, a, you know, an autonomous car share program. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also uh, uh, look at a whole bunch of other things and say, well, we're going to need to reinvent buses. We need to reinvent a yeah. whole range I mean, of different... Public transportation, it seems like it will have to change. Yeah. In so, a large way. yeah. so, you know, I, I think that what we're really looking at is going to be um, at, at least three or four different vehicle types uh, at sort of a very high level, you know, so some kind of micro personal thing for one or two people. And then on the sort of the other end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, your your car, which is, uh, you know, going to take four or five people uh, that looks and feels more or less like a car and is autonomous. But then there's a bunch of other stuff that I think can be developed as well. You know, you have these kind of mid-ranged uh, micro bus kind of sized things that uh, could be maybe eight passengers uh, that are yeah. kind of semi-flexible, doing something like what you know uh, Lyft is doing right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no vehicle that supports what they're doing. They're just kind of hacking it with a Prius and a driver. But if you were to say, let's design a vehicle that just does that, assuming that some sort of minibus service like that makes yeah. sense, um, that's a totally new vehicle that nobody that does, you know. There's a, there's some some vehicles in Europe that have been developed around that. There's some testing around something called City Mobile Two uh, in in. Uh, in Europe, that's been doing this for a number of years. Uh, there, there are a few vehicles out there that have been uh, been tried. Uh, there's a there's a stealth startup down in South Bay right now uh, mm-hmm. that is working on uh, an autonomous vehicle that that uh, could be in that kind of a range. I don't know exactly how many seats are in it, but you know the number of seats that are in that vehicle obviously have to be very directly tied to the business model. And what we're seeing right now is really just 
people kicking the tires on different business models, trying to figure out, well, how many people can share a ride and what does that business model look like? And once right. they've kind of figured out what the, what works there, uh, you can start to design. Driver, right? so and do we need a driver? And if you take yeah. the driver out, then obviously one of the biggest costs of running a bus line is not the bus, it's the driver. And so if right. you don't have the driver, you don't have to have a huge bus that goes by once every 20 minutes. Right. You could have a bus half that size go by once every 10 minutes or five minutes. Right. Uh, it could go on. And if it has fewer people in it, it can go a much more flexible route, right? If that bus only has eight people in it, yep. that's a totally different vehicle than one that has 50 people in it. Right. And so now you can Like the route doing, doesn't, isn't as important. Exactly. Right, so. it, it's still a little more important than if it's a yeah. private ride. But it's a lot less important than if it's a full, uh, you know, fifty-passenger bus. And so I think that right. there's a bunch of different, you know, there's gonna be kind of a sweet spot in there. And I don't think anybody knows what the kind of perfect vehicle size is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I think that there's there's certainly something there. And then of course there's all the stuff that's going on with RidePal and Google and all those kinds of services for longer commuter trips. Right. And you know, those could, there could be some sort of automated uh, vehicle that does that kind of stuff too. And so I think that there's. There's all of these different uh, solutions that can be hooked together, but we need to be thinking about it from, you know, what are the different trips that need to be solved for, and how can we really solve for them, both from the technology, the policy, the legal, the, the, the business model, I mean, all of these different pieces, and then figure out how all those things all fit together into a coherent system. And there's just not, there's not even like a very coherent discussion about that yet. <laughs> right. right now, it's still very much like, Either you know, are we going to have them or aren't we going to have them? And if yeah. we do have them, are they going to replace cars? And so you know, can not I? Discussion. You know, yeah. The discussion isn't even there. Like we're not yeah. even like starting to have the conversation about what exactly is this new system? How does this system work? How does it fit together? What are the different pieces? Who needs to be building what? And how should they all be working together? And you know that that discussion needs to start happening. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, let me toss one more factor into this, which is interesting too, which is that we've, the, this entire discussion has been about basically for the most part, you know, moving people, right. And transportation of people. But if you have autonomous vehicles, you can start to think about the easier movement of other things as well and products. And, and, mm-hmm. and that begins to change the way we think of some of these things too. Right. And, and it's a, another aspect to this that, that isn't even considered. Cause right now when you think about cars, you, you generally are talking mostly about moving people, obviously delivery trucks and things like that. But, you know, you could start to see interesting combinations come about in terms of, you know, uh, you know, a, an autonomous moving vehicle that is also a 3D printer, right? right? That right. that you could, you know, if you need a product and you don't have your own 3D printer or an advanced 3D printer, right? You could have something, order it and have it show up at your door because it's printing on the way as it as it drives to you too, right? Or, or you could have the vehicle itself 3D printed, which uh, <laughs> yeah. has actually, which Local Motors has actually already done, and they're they're running a competition now to to do another one. Um, you, you know, I, I I I agree. I mean, I think logistics is a is a huge uh, a part of you know if you're looking at the transportation ecosystem as a whole, uh, logistics is a huge footprint there. Uh, and the the nice thing about that is that it's it is more B two B and it is more um, uh, a system where there is somebody who's uh, uh, not quite so clouded on their psychology in terms of you know <laughs> how much it's costing them to you know move something from one place to another. Um, they're paying a lot of attention to where they can right. cut costs, and if they can figure out a way to develop new vehicles and save money and save time, they will certainly do it. Uh, you know, so I, I, I definitely see a lot of um, uh, potential there to uh, gain more efficiencies uh, in the system, which you know, and, and also the big risk of losing jobs in that. 
Interesting. So I think we're, we're sort of running out of time here, um, but another really, really interesting conversation. But just to, to sort of um, finalize, to, to put a sort of final point on it, um, do you have a sense or, or do you want to stick your neck out and make a prediction <laughs> in terms of you know, how long until some of these things happen and, and what is most likely to happen, uh, at least in the near future, sort of five to 10 year range? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of the the this is again one of those um, uh, uh, problematic questions that I think comes <laughs> up a lot, which is you know when are we going to see this? Well, the question is what is this, right? And, sure. And uh, you know, I, I think we're already seeing it to some extent. I mean, there are already certain things that are being automated. There are certain kinds of edge cases. You know, there are these uh, things in Amazon's warehouse that are moving packages around. There are uh, there's a there's a company called Nightscope that's uh, doing kind of these RoboCop things. There's all these drones that are uh, you know certainly a lot easier to automate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so if you widen your scope of what is uh, vehicle, uh, there's a lot of things that are already happening now. Uh, if you widen your scope to uh, business models, you know, then you could look at something like Uber and say, well, that could be automated, and so that is kind of technically right. already a bit of a, a, mm -hmm. a, t a taste of what's there. Um, and then the the other thing is to uh, you know essentially the more the more radical you go out on the vehicle design and the technology risk, uh, the more constrained you're going to have to be on where you can let that thing run around in the wild, right? So if you've got this this crazy wild beast, you're not going to just throw it out on the streets of San Francisco. You're going to have to constrain it, right? And so mm -hmm. uh, the flip side is if you want to have something that can roam the streets anywhere, everywhere, all the time then it's going to be a lot more incremental, right? And so that's why you start, that's why you see someone like Google saying, we have no existing network of partners in this whole space. We can do whatever we want. We have nothing to disrupt that's ours. Uh, so we're going to build whatever we want, but we're only going to release it in Mountain View where we've you know, mapped every <laughs> single tiny square inch of the city. Right. I mean, you literally need that much mapping technology. I mean, you, you right. need a lot right. more than Google Maps. Uh, you know, and it helps that... Google basically is Mountain View. Yeah, at this point. right, exactly. And, and you know, it's something like Zooks, you know, I mean, if, if they want to release that into the wild, uh, you know, it's going to be, you can make a, a super, super radical vehicle, but then you're going to have to put it in a very constrained environment, right? So either an right. airport or a gated campus right. or some sort of mm -hmm. something that has some limitations, right? Um, and, you know, the flip side is if you're, you know, Mercedes and you want to create an autonomous vehicle, uh, you're a lot more likely to say, okay, well, we already churn out, you know, thousands of these things every year. Uh, let's make them a little bit safer and safer and not mess up our, you know, existing business model and our existing relationships with all the different, you know, mechanics and dealers and everybody else that we have partnerships mm -hmm. with. Um, so, you know, I think that w the question of when will we see this, I mean, I think, A, we're already seeing it. B, we're going to see it materialize in different ways due to different strategic uh, imperatives that companies have. And, you know, I think if you're, you know, essentially we'll see stuff that looks very autonomous, but in very limited kinds of applications uh, in the near future. And then we'll see stuff that is, uh, you know, less radical and, and uh, revisionary, uh, but in, in its own limited use cases, right? So if you look at, uh, say, uh, what Tesla is doing now, uh, Mercedes has been doing for a long time, Nissan, others, uh, you know, we'll start seeing things like uh, low-speed applications first, right? So right. parking, uh, congested highway, stop-and-go traffic. Um, uh, like pedest pedestrian avoidance. Pedestrian or, avoidance. Yeah. yeah, I mean, any anything that really is fairly low-risk, yeah. low-speed, 
and uh, or on the highway on I mean, the I highway. Think, yeah, like it's, lane it, chain, lane yep. lane assist. I think is yeah. yeah. So there there are different. So the the big challenge with this is that going from you know eighty to twenty is hard, but then going from uh, getting the last one percent is inc- incredibly difficult, right? And so what right. Google is spending most of their time right now on is you know, really extreme edge cases. Like what happens if we're in Colorado at two in the morning and there's a snowstorm and there's a truck in front of us with a bunch of <laughs> poles that are coming off the, the back of it and it's foggy and you're like, okay, if you can't solve for that, you can't release it in the wild, you know? And so the, the flip side is say, okay, we're only going to release it at Mountain View at 25 miles an hour, this very specific thing. Um, and so, you know, I think what will, I think that the, the, one of the big challenges is people are, are thinking again, like, you know, Uber will replace cars and the robo Uber will really replace everything, and we're going to see that in the next, you know, five years, and it's just going to be big, big, big. And you're like, well, that's going to take a little longer than that, and there's going to be a lot of other things that are also going to <laughs> happen in the meantime, and there are a lot of other opportunities to disrupt the the, the ecosystem. So yeah, so I think there are a lot of um, opportunities within this space uh, that go above and beyond, you know, either what the OEMs are doing themselves or what uh, Google is doing. Uh, and obviously, it's anybody's guess what what Apple is up to, um, you know. But I think there are there are a lot of different, you know. So let's look at just something like what Zerks is doing, right? I mean, imagine that all those vehicles can park themselves. I mean, that's going to change their their whole business model uh, in and of itself. Take, take it away. <laughs> might take it away, right? I mean, it yeah. might might really change things quite a bit. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of uh, things that we can incorporate into Upshift, uh, you know, even in the next three to five years, uh, that uh, that can really uh, change our business model and, and, you know, make things possible that weren't possible previously that we're thinking about uh, that do not require, you know, 100% fully automated, uh, automated uh, uh, cars, nor do they necessarily require uh, a, a very revol- a revolutionary vehicle like, like what Google is doing. And I think to the extent that you're aware of what those different uh, pathways look like, progressions look like, who's working on what and what's going to be possible within, you know, near term, long term, um, you know, then you can start to say, okay, well, this is this is what we see is actually possible. Uh, what can we do with that? Uh, rather than kind of waiting for like everything to happen at once, and then saying, well, when that thing happens, well, it's, there is no one thing that's going to happen. There's a bunch of things that are going to happen, and each one of them is kind of going to unlock different opportunities. So just have to be really aware of all the different pieces and how they're uh, changing over time, and, and which pieces will change first, so that you can take advantage of them if you're looking at new opportunities. Right. All right. Well, that's uh, very interesting. And I mean, definitely a lot to uh, think about and a lot to, to certainly be watching for as, as these things kind of change. Really, uh, once again, a really, really interesting discussion. And, and thanks so much for, for joining us. And, and we'll, we'll have to have you back again. Uh, so, you know, as these things continue to change, uh, it'll, I think it's going to continue to be a really interesting area to explore and to think about and to discuss. So uh, thanks again to everyone who's listening. And, and thanks to Ezra for, for joining us and having this conversation. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me. All right, uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Yes, you. You drive me crazy. Oh, what did I do? What did I do to you? My tears for you make everything hazy. 